Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to, the, to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but cannot tell where it has come from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lift up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And now from James chapter 1, verses 9 to 18. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their, humil their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to God. be to God. Well, as we've said already, today is Mother's Day, and uh, we express then here our thankfulness for motherhood in general, affects us all, and for our mothers in particular. And we do this recognizing the complexities attached to our experience of motherhood. We're thankful for our mothers who are still with us, who perhaps we are able to contact, as well as those who have, if I can use biblical language, those who have fallen asleep. 
What do mothers do? <laughs> the answer is so many things. It's amazing. Uh, so many beautiful things, so many complex things. But I want to talk briefly today about what it means to give birth. Now, if you please tonight, I'm not going technical. Because in our text today, oh yes, kids, I'm getting used to this. Youth, how great is that? Good on you, Ken. I had that in my notes and everything. It was all written there. I want to talk briefly about what it means to give birth, because in our text today, God gives birth to something. Um, and there's a second birth in our text today, that of our desires giving birth to something. I don't know if you noticed that. There are two births here, not related, if I can put it this way, to one's first birth. And we'll explore that uh, today in our message. What does God give birth to? It's in verse 18. It's good to have your eyes on the text. In verse 18, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he has created. He's not talking about uh, your birth when you were knit together in your mother's womb and born all those years ago. He's talking about a new kind of birth. God gave me new life, a second birth through the word of truth or the gospel. You might say he gave me a second chance at life. But did you notice there's another birth in our text today, a darker one, an honest one. James talks about being dragged away by our own desires and enticed uh, to do things we might not even want to do. He writes in verse 15, after desire has conceived, see there's that language, if I can put it this way, after desire has hit the wall of our heart, it then gives birth to sin, and sin when it grows up, gives birth to death. Now, that's dark and a little weird for some, but many of us know that experience in life. I had a young man who was addicted to pornography, and he said, I am, he said, I am the, walking, I'm, I'm the walking dead. But he knew it was wrong, and he, was, he got help, and he was seeking a path out of it. So verse 15 makes some sense. Our desires give birth to sin, and sin may take us down. It will, without the saving work of Jesus Christ. So there are two births in our text today. But let's go back to your birth uh, from your own mother. What does it mean to give birth? Well, to give birth is to bring something into the world, to bring a child into the world, to begat them in the old language, to give that one life. No wonder it's so powerful. Mothers give birth, mark my words, they give birth by the shedding of their blood. I've seen it four times. There's no other way. Now, that's awkward to think about, not fun to think about, but it's true. For a person to have life, there is a cost to the mother, a cost she's often willing to bear, but keep that thought. Jesus, as well as his friends who wrote the New Testament, all claim that God has given to some a second birth, given to all a first birth, to some a second birth, one that is from above, said Jesus, and not according to the flesh, but rather a birth spiritually. Namely, what is true of mothers who give birth to babies is also true of God who gives to me new life. Verse 18 says it, 
God chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Now, that's unusual, but the first thing we need to say is, James is only quoting his brother. James, who wrote this, was Jesus' actual brother. James's mother was Mary, and so James is the younger brother of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that God gives to some a second birth, a birth from above, and James is quoting him. So does Peter, so does Paul. Jesus said it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that Stuart read to us a moment's time, a moment ago. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born from above or born a second time. You can't know God. You're not going to heaven unless you're born a second time, said Jesus. Now, that's complicated for some of us because there's some political things going on coming out of American politics. There's one American comedian, politically driven, who said, why do people who say they're born again make you wish they'd never been born a first time? So, there's politics going on there. But remove yourself from the current politics. Let's let Jesus define what he means when he said, you must be born from above. Jesus says, if you've ever read your Old Testament, your Jewish scriptures, you'll get it. In fact, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. You should know exactly what we're talking about when we talk about this resurrection. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He's thinking in concrete terms, like some of you, some of us think. He's got his mind on maternity wards and obstetricians, and he gets that he's a grown man, and that's not going to happen a second time. To which he says, you know, how can you be born when you're old? You can't enter your mother's womb a, a second time. You know, it's such an awkward image right there. But um, Frederick Buechner once cheekily wrote of Nicodemus, how do you get born again when it's a challenge just to get out of bed in the morning? He's an old man. Not going to happen. Could one enter a second time into my mother's womb? How could I do that when I can't even enter a taxi without somebody giving me a shove from behind? But I'm an old man. That's not going to happen. Now, I don't want to go into the whole rabbit hole of uh, the easy falau thing, and, and it is, we could, you know, wow, uh, not in this sermon. But Nick Farr Jones, former Wallabies captain, was talking to David Kosh, Koshy, this week on Sunrise, and he said something that was the first time I've heard it in the debate. By the way, if you're visiting from overseas and this is new, just stop for a moment, Google it later, although it is a rabbit hole. He said something that I have not heard in this debate. He said, non-Christians are never going to understand this. First time I've heard it. <laughs> he said, it's going to seem like foolishness to most people to try to take the Bible seriously as your authority. Now, I wonder whether what Nick Farr Jones said about the easy thing is also true about verse 18. Some of us are just not going to get it. I'm going to read it out again, and some of you will never understand it. You'll look at it, and you'll glaze over. James writes, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a whole new family among all his created. Now, if that means nothing to you, but you want it to mean something, then I recommend coming to church every day for a year. My father, I don't think he's here today. Good. 
went to church every week for nine years, because he was baptised, he said, you know, that's what you've got to do, you've got to keep your promises, right? So every year for nine years, until in his mid-thirties, penny drops, Bible's taught, he understands the gospel, bing! I'm going to come back to all of that at the end of this message, because actually today I want to talk about thankfulness and how it relates to the new birth. Look at verse 16, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters, because it's possible to be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is, is from above. If it's a good gift, if it's a perfect gift, it comes from God. That's its source. And that good and perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He's not a kite in the breeze, God. He's, he's so, he is solid ground. And if every good thing comes from God, then you're going to learn to be thankful to Him. Have you noticed that there's a new change in the language of thankfulness in our world, with a bit of Marie Kondi, Kondo popped in there? I think in our Western world, in any case, thankfulness means generally appreciative of what you have. Um, it's framed now as an antidote to a lack of contentment. I'm going to learn to be thankful. And therefore, to be thankful or thankfulness is a tool for psychological well-being, a pathway to peace for those for whom it's hard to find peace. Now, I get it, by the way. I really do. I, I think there's something in it. But for the writers of the Bible, uh, thankfulness is old school. Um, what you do is you find the person who gave you the thing and then you thank them not just to be thankful in general, but to articulate your thanks to the person who gave it to you. And if every good and perfect gift comes from above, that's going to involve you having a life of prayer. It has to. Dear God, thank you for. Dear God, thank you for. Dear God, thank you for. This and that and this and that. So today, from our text, I want to talk about being thankful for three things, and this is on page eight of your orders of service. I want you to be thankful for your low position. That's a surprise in verses 9 and 10. To be thankful for the trial you're currently experiencing, verse 12, and even for your liberation from your own desires from verses 13 to 15. And then I want to ask, how does it grow within you? How does this new life grow? Firstly, very briefly, be thankful for your low position. James, with the same directness of his brother, says in verse 9, believers in humble or down circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. If you're in a humble circumstance, you're actually in a high position, says James, ironically. But the rich person should take pride in their humiliation. If you're up here, then that's a humiliation, he says, since they will pass away like a wild flower. Here is an irony, a paradox that, when understood, makes sense of life and living. If you're down, says James, you're in a good place because God looks at you there in that place. He sees your humble position, your destitution. Sometimes it's physical. He sees your downtroddenness and he sees it. And if you are in Christ, believers in humble circumstances, then he says you are in a place of exaltation. You can see now why the Christian gospel was so attractive to people in the south of India in the 19th century with being untouchables, or people in Africa or Asia who have been so downtrodden. You can see why the gospel is so 
powerful right now in China, why the government sees it as a threat, or why African Americans enslaved in the 19th century sung songs of hope. And you can see also why rich, white, maybe Western society is laughing at it now. James says the rich should lift up their humiliation, the their, their fact that all that I have is ephemeral. You know, God looks at your beautiful home, your fat paycheck, your first-class holiday to Europe, your latest gadget, and he sees nothing. He sees something passing away. If I can use the language of Ecclesiastes, havel, vapour, doesn't last. Verse 11, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, and that plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed, and we all know that about plant life. He says, in the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, that is going to be picked up later in James. So, if you're just visiting today, come again or download the sermons if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you need to. I think what's being said, if you live in a world where there is no God and therefore no judgment, no eternity, then you only have a material world. And if this is all there is, then, you know, go and get more and get it ahead of everybody else. But James says, no, there is a God. I believe it too. So be thankful for what you don't have. Be thankful, if I can put it this way, in your low position because God sees it as an exalted place if you're in Christ because he will lift you up in due time. James's mother Mary was lowly and Mary said the same thing. In the Song of Mary, he's brought down rulers from their thrones. You think you're a hot shot? He's lifted up the humble. James had a brother called Jesus. Jesus told a story about a good man and a bad man. The good man had good values, and he thought of himself as a good man who had good values, and he thanked God that he was a good man who had good values, which really is the same as lots of Australians. Because the alternative is that I'm not a good man and that, you know, um, is either going to lead me to despair or lead me to the cross of Jesus Christ. There are your two options. But because you don't want either, you just choose to maintain the thought that I'm a good man or a good person with good values. In the story that Jesus told in Luke 19, there was also a bad man. He was a tax collector, a thief in those days, collaborating with the oppressor and slicing money off the top. Jesus said, of the two men, the tax collector stood at the distance, he wouldn't look up to heaven, he beat his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. In other words, I'm in the bottom rung. And Jesus says, I tell you that that man, the tax collector, rather than the good man, went home ripe with God. He walked out of the building ripe with God because those who lift themselves up are brought low and those who are brought low will be lifted up. So if you're going to know God, if you're going to have this new birth, you're going to have to think in reverse. Secondly, we need to be thankful for your trial. I know this is really hard. Go get the download of last week if you weren't here. Are you going through a trial of some kind? James said last week, consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, not because you're a masochist or you take pleasure in pain, but rather because you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It's productive namely perseverance, um, and let perseverance have her perfect work. Let her have her way in your life. So James goes on building on that, and he actually says that you're a blessed one. If you persevere under trial, 
because having stood the test, that person will, will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Going through a trial, you have a future mind that allows you to just remain standing. You don't have to be a hero, right? You don't have to charge forward and, you know, you, don't, you, know, you just have to remain standing, true to God, not double-minded, because a trial produces something in you. You said no to being double-minded, a foot in both camps. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. You stayed true to God. Jesus said the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. Thirdly and finally, you need to be thankful for your liberation from self, <laughs> from your strong desires. Look at verses 13 to 15. When tested, tempted, no one should shift blame, right, implied. Take responsibility. You certainly shouldn't shift blame by saying, it's all God. God made me this way. God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. But rather, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is matured, gives birth to death. James here is talking about the life of Adam, who shifted blame, but the wages of sin is death. Um, blaming God is as old as Adam and Eve, but what is being talked about here is an alternative to the new life. What is the thing that takes root in your life? This new birth by the word of truth, this gospel, or in this case, um, your own heart, your own desires. By the way, this is the anti-Disney sermon. I like Disney, I like a good Disney film, but this whole, your desires are pure and all you've got to do is follow them and it'll lead to the castle at the end and the beautiful life and the, it's all lies, really. James has a much more um, realistic, I think, understanding of one's desires within. Uber desires are a slavery from which we need to be given liberation. I think when we do something wrong, it's natural to defend self and shift blame and avoid responsibility. Here it's, God made me this way, I couldn't help it, the circumstances conspired against me. I was hangry. I claim entrapment. Passages saying God is not into entrapment. Uh, stop pretending he is. And the implied version here is drink in responsibility for the thing you do that's wrong. And precisely because there's an alternative to the sin, and, and namely that's the grace of God, and I urge you to drink that even more. <laughs> uh, how are we dragged away, verse 14, when we're dragged away by our own desire and enticed. Look at verse um, 14. That word evil is not in the original language. Uh, it's, a, it's a Greek word, and the word is epithumia, and you can see on page one or two uh, a, a, a definition of epithumia. Um, you, you, it's best translated, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own mm, desire. Uber, epi, desire. The King James Version just translates it as lust, by which they're not meaning sexual desire. That's a furphy that comes from our world, although it might include, and it often includes, sexual desire, but it's not that. It's the have-to-have, -have, which you think must be expressed. 
The Greek word is the word for passionate longing uh, or lust or inordinate desire or excessive desire. You might want to say uber desire. Um, you know, we're made to desire God and, uh, and what's being said here is you're going to desire something other than God. You know, we're made to drink living water but we go and try to drink other things. In the end, it's idol worship. Frederick Buechner also said, lust is the craving for salt of a person who's dying of thirst. You need God, but you go and get it elsewhere. Oscar Wilde, I can resist everything except temptation. I say God gives you power to resist in this new life, this epithumia. Desire, by the way, is a good thing. Nothing wrong with wanting something. Desire is a good thing. Epithumia isn't. Epithumia is when you want something too much, so much that you're willing to manipulate or control other people and forget God. James 4 makes this clear. We're going to explore this more later. What causes fights and quarrels and bullying among you? Don't they come from something within? You, know, you want something and you don't get it, and so you seek to control to get it. You kill and you covet. Um, it's one of the reasons domestic violence happens. It's because somebody has a thing within them that seeks to control, and it's ugly, and it's wrong, and it comes from within. You kill and you cover, but you cannot have what you want. You fight and you quarrel. Epithumia is an uber desire, and you know when it controls your thinking, the thought of not having really frightens you. You seek to do everything to keep the thing that you want, you're willing to make daft decisions to get it. It's when you make your desire your God and you follow it to the ends of the earth. But it's a slavery, says James. It gives birth to sin. The desires you have can make you do things God hates, make you hurt someone you love, sleep with someone you know you shouldn't be sleeping with. It can make you make stupid choices that you regret, which is why it gives birth to death. It's the story that's old as Adam and we need a new one. Death being God's punishment for sin. It's the old story of broken humanity and we need a healed one. But this is why Christ came, Jesus said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We need to be freed from ourselves. So how does this new life grow within you, this seed of the gospel planted on the walls of your heart, this life of thankfulness. It comes because you receive the word of truth, the gospel that's planted within you. Chapter 1, verse 21. God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. So if you're in Christ, there's something in you. There's one in you, a person, the Spirit of God, a seed, and it is a new start, or He is a new beginning for you. Your mother gave you your first birth, and we remember that today, but the gospel gave you your second one, and believe me, your mother shed blood, and so did Jesus Christ. This life comes through sacrifice. And the new birth is from God. You didn't earn it. You didn't make it happen. And it has to come to the good people, by the way. Nicodemus is one of the good people. You say, but I'm a good person, I don't need it. No, new life has to come to the good person, as well as the tax collector. But I count myself among the latter. But this life produces something great, a crop of new people with new attitudes and new prayers and new thankfulness and a new life 
before God are people who look to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, he wrought forgiveness for me there. We look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we say, right there is my new life now and in the life of the world to come. And I look at the commands of God and instead of resisting them, I say, how can I obey them? Not my will be done, that's all but desire, but thy will be done. And we look at the promises of God and we say, really, all that I hope for in life is there in his promises. And this seed, by the way, grows within you with the water of Christian community and the sunlight of the Holy Spirit so that you can say, outwardly, I might be wasting away. I'm an old man. I'm getting older. Outwardly, I'm wasting away. But inwardly, even on my deathbed, I am being renewed day by day through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our mothers who, uh, through a cost, <laughs> uh, gave us birth. And uh, to the extent that she was willing, we thank you for her and her life, those who are with us, those who have fallen asleep. But we thank you for the new birth <laughs> that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord, for this seed planted within that grows water it with Christian community, put the sunlight of your Holy Spirit on us that we might have a new life, uh, to be a part of a group of people with new desires, new thankfulness, a new heart. We want this, Father, for, sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.